So on today's episode, we're talking to a guest who recently completed a super challenging ski expedition across a section of Baffin Island in the Canadian Arctic. And she was also with Ray Zahab. I think I may have pronounced that a little bit wrong, but we'll we'll, we'll clean it up later. But she's here to share her experience with us. And so, you know, kind of through her adventures and stuff, she hopes to really inspire others to to push their limits and to accomplish once they what they once thought was impossible, while also encouraging more women to pursue pursue outdoor activities. So, welcome to the podcast, Valerie Gange. Thank you. Hey. Great to be here. <laughs> yeah, you bet. So, and I was just talking to her before this and I was like, you know, thanks so much. Valerie reached out to me on email and she knows that I have a soft spot for people doing really incredible things. And so she uh, was saying, hey, let's let's talk about maybe some Arctic stuff. And I'm like, let's yeah. do it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so really, my first question to, to, to pop this whole podcast off is number one, why the Arctic? Um, okay, so I like to do really extreme things and <laughs> to explore uh, and go to places in their most like real nature. Uh, and so going to the Arctic in February, where it's the coldest um, and there's not a lot of daylight, that's just like the realest way of experiencing a place uh, kind of like the opposite for like deserts deserts you have to go in the summer in the heat of um of the summer so and it's just kind of like experiencing the environment in its truest form i guess i love it so you yeah. are really someone that seeks the challenge like yes, it, absolutely. not only just a challenge but you want to like have the maximum amount of challenge that you yes can. you, want, you <laughs> want to squeeze all the challenge out of that i totally yeah. totally love that yeah. it's funny because as you say that i kind of get taken back to when i was younger and i remember like i would always play just like random games with my parents or something like just like a like catch playing catch right like with a football and I always, I always tell my dad, I was like, I want it to be like the most challenging throw so I can try to like really, I want it to be challenging. Like I want you to throw yeah. challenging throws to me so I can try to catch them or whatever. Do you ever remember like back when you were younger, I guess, that any kind of like proclivity or like just kind of urging to really love challenging things? Like when was like your first kind of memory of that, I guess? Um. I, I couldn't really pinpoint it to uh, an exact time or event, yeah. but definitely when I was younger, um, I had to do everything to like its fullest. So I always wanted to be the fastest, the strongest. I always wanted to be the first. Um, and I, well, as I'm, I'm saying this, I'm thinking about one moment actually where I was in the third grade, uh, just changed to a new school and they were running the uh, cross country event in the fall, right? So just like a 1.5K or 2K, I can't remember. But only the fourth graders um, could compete and like fourth, fifth and sixth graders uh, had access to that competition. And uh, I remember saying to my mom, like, I wanna run the race. Like I 
this is cool. I, I love running. I want to be in that race. And so she said, no, sorry, you know, only fourth graders. So next year you can. And I'm like, no, I want to go this year. Yeah, yeah. And so we went to see the uh, school principal and uh, I asked if I could go and, and join the race. Um, and then he said, well, you know, he kind of looked at my mom like she's crazy a little bit. Like, what? just wait till next year. But then they kind of um, made a deal that if I trained for it, then I could run it. Um, and so every morning, my mom would drive um, me and my sisters to school, and we had about a 500-meter um, private road that we were on, like a gravel road, not a lot of traffic. So every morning and every night coming back from school, I'd run that 500-meter section in, like, my <laughs> uniform school awesome. skirt. Um yeah, so I guess that, like, from that point, just I had to do everything, uh, kind of like a competitive spirit, and yeah. I love it. So as you were kind of thinking about, or as I kind of asked the question, you were one kind of, like, subconsciously <laughs> came into your mind, really. Yeah, yeah, I guess that, that would be, like, a good good example of how I was a little bit extreme, just wanted to push myself always. Yeah. And that's always kinda, been a part of it. Yeah, yeah and then kind of from there, it, Obviously, it, it progressed to, yes. to other things, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, uh, progressed to well in sports, and I did uh, a few sports at a high level, um, and then retired from high performance sports. But I kind of had to still keep that challenge aspect in my life. Um, I knew that, like, the thirty minute a day being active physical activity that they recommend was like not going to cut it for me like it's just if I don't have a goal I'm not going to work out for anything like I'm just going to be like a couch potato and I'm going to put on like 100 pounds and I'm yeah. just going to like die in my sofa you know um <laughs> but yeah so so I when I retired from high high performance sports I thought okay what's next and um what other challenges can can I get myself into? And then uh, wonderful world of ultra running and ultra marathons uh, came up, and that's it's actually where I met uh, Ray. Right. Um, I, I I signed up for a nonprofit organization. It's an, they bring kids on expeditions. Uh, it's called Impossible to Possible, and uh, I signed up for one of their expeditions. And I got selected for it, and we went and ran, a, on average, a marathon a day for seven consecutive days in the Atacama Desert. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So then I got into that whole world, and then that kind of spiraled into more of, like, the adventurous stuff and more adventurous and expedition style. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay, I love yeah. it. Talked about, basically... You know, one thing led to another. You met Ray. You started getting into ultra marathoning, and eventually, I'm guessing that kind of led to your latest adventure. Then, which would be on Baffin Island in yes. the Arctic, correct? Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about that adventure. Like, and specifically, what I'd really love to know about it is, well, just kind of set us up. Like, what what was the goal, right? Okay. And I'd love to know what are some of like the biggest challenges you faced on that adventure? Okay, so 
first of all, um, I was invited on this expedition by my friend Ray. Uh, he had planned a much longer expedition um, going from uh, one community in the Arctic uh, to the next, all on skis and trekking. Um, and then he got diagnosed uh, with cancer in the fall. I think it was in September. And so his plans for this expedition changed a little bit. And um, he was going to shorten it up to make it work with his uh, chemo schedule. So then he invited me to come with him uh, on the expedition. And he knew that because it would only be about seven days, uh, it would work with my schedule. And also I'm, I'm not at the same level of um, fitness and mm. absolute crazy uh, extreme adventures that Ray is at. So I could probably handle this type of expedition. Um, and so we set out, we went from one community to the other, but we kind of shortened the trip uh, by using snow machines to get us uh, on the sea ice up through the fjord. And then we started on the land. And so we did the land part on skis mm -hmm. and trekking because um, in the Arctic in the winter, there's not that much snow. And so the uh, spots are kind of windswept. And so uh, it was kind of a mix of skiing and trekking. And um, so at the end of the the land once we crossed over then we got picked up again by the snow machines and rode back into uh the community at the end so it was a total of seven days and um actually one of the most challenging parts of the expedition was the snow machine ride um it it would have been probably a lot easier longer but easier to just skip the snow machine rides and um just ski the whole thing just because um the Inuit traditional way of um, traveling on the land is by snow machine. Um, and they have like this, it's called a hamotik. It's a big wooden box in the back of the snow machine. And it's basically used to carry some gear. And uh, we sat in those wooden boxes uh, for about 12 hours. And we just got pounded by the like constant impact on the ice. And so it just felt like every bone in my body would break and uh, couldn't catch a, a break because it was just like every three to five seconds, like bam, bam, onto the ice. Um, and it was just, there's like no padding or anything in the bottom of the, those boxes. There's no s suspension. It's, it's awful. You feel like you're in a boxing ring getting like beaten up by, by a boxer, really. Like I felt, I thought that one of my ribs was broken and like, yeah, I thought I needed a double hip replacement. It's, it's bad. It's awful, but it is a real part of Arctic expeditions, like to get anywhere in the Arctic, that's how you travel. And so you have to be prepared for that. Like you have to know that it's coming. Um, mm -hmm. And there's just no way around it. Cause you're not, you're not going to like, you can't get a helicopter to just drop you off anywhere. Right. Like that's, that's how you travel. So um, that was definitely one of the most challenging parts, even though it's not the actual expedition. Physical thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And then um, something else was definitely, well, like obviously the cold. Uh, I, I knew that it was going to be cold. I had, I lived in Kujuak, which is in the northern part of Quebec, uh, kind of subarctic 
uh, so so very cold. Uh, I lived there for a year and I knew what to expect, but it was kind of like it was one one step more than than what I had anticipated. Um, so we had really accurate thermometers to collect weather data, um, kind of in an effort to support climate change research. And uh, so that thermometer uh, recorded minus 50 degrees Celsius. Mm. Um, we wow. had, yeah, we had winds of 100 kilometers an hour at a certain point. And the worst part of, the, of it all is the humidity. It's actually, it's really high humidity. It was 65%. Um, wow. So you think like, oh, it's gonna be dry, but it's actually really not. So that humidity, mixed in with that cold with that temperature and the wind chill just makes it like really hard to understand if you don't experience yeah. it yeah yeah i yeah that's interesting and one thing i know of like like just winter stuff in general like winter backpacking like which obviously yeah. isn't as extreme as that but i just know that like compared to summer camping or backpacking or whatever everything takes like three times as long. Yes. It <laughs> you really know? Yeah. yeah, right? Like yeah. what what did you notice on your expedition that just was like, oh, this is taking forever or anything that was really monotonous or just yeah. Well like, like it the, take, took extra time. The obvious thing for us was that um one of the days we couldn't travel because of the high winds, the risk of frostbite was just too high. Um, and also, so when you're taking down your tent in the morning and going off for the day and skiing and then, um, like your tent is your safe space right. and you have to know that you're going to be able to put it up, uh, at the end of the day. Right. And with those high winds, we weren't a hundred percent sure that we would be able to set it up, um, at the end of the day. So it was, it was a question of. Uh, frostbite, but also just being able to set up our shelter wow. once we had finished our kilometers uh, for the day. So we made the decision to just stay there for the whole day. So we basically we spent 40 hours in the tent. Um, yeah, not doing anything, just like looking at the tent walls, flapping in the wind. And now, it was Yeah, it was long. <laughs> How, so, and you, I assume you are, I mean, you're just like how I am likely, which is you have to be, you know, well, you said it yourself yeah. earlier, 30 minutes a day isn't enough for you. So yeah. now you're grounded in a tent for 40 hours and you can't hardly go outside. So yeah. what, what was that like? And what was your, what was your mental state like? And what'd you do to keep busy? Okay. So basically you kind of shut off your brain mm. um, in the sense of you cannot think like, oh my God, we're here. We're, we're stuck here. We don't know how long it's going to be. We don't know if even tomorrow we'll be able to travel or anything like that. So you kind of have to just shut off your brain and not think about anything. You can't think about like, oh, I wish I was, I was back home. I wish I was nice and cozy in my living room in a blanket. Like I wish I was warm. Uh, that just cannot happen or you're going to break mentally. 
right? It, and so you're really just focusing on the little tasks that you have to do, uh, which are just boiling water and making tea and coffee and soup and yeah, just eating and drinking coffee all day. Um, and then we, so we were three, luckily we had, you know, I had company and I, we could talk to each other and, and, but at a certain point, there's really not much that you can talk about anymore. Um, so we would invent stories and invent, uh, you know, characters and just kind of like go wow. off in that extra weird world that we invented. Um, and, but there were really long times, like long periods of times where we just didn't talk and we were all in our sleeping bags lying there fully awake no one was sleeping even in the middle of the night no one was sleeping because it was just too cold um and, but you're you know that there's people next to you but you also feel very isolated yeah and you also feel very alone in that moment because you're going through your own stuff but there's a part of you that doesn't want to share and burden your teammates with mm -hmm. that um mm -hmm. with what you're going through you know, so it's it's uh, it can be a little bit lonely and intense kind of with your own thoughts. And you have to be the kind of person that is OK with being in silence and being left alone with your own your own yeah. thoughts. And yeah. Yeah. Super knowledgeable. I love that. That's, that's some good. That's some good wisdom there, because if you get going down a bad path, it's tough to bring yourself out of that. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know that the other people that you're with are also going through their own stuff. And as much as they can be there to help you out, um, everyone is just like holding on by a thread. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, you know, I can't, I cannot break down mentally. I cannot let myself just start to, um, cry and like go into that really bad mental state because I don't know how my partners are doing. Like I, I know that they're way stronger than I am mentally, physically and all that, but I just couldn't necessarily share it with them because I didn't want to burden them. Yeah. So what was it that, how would you, how did you prevent yourself from going down that, that route? Well, basically just kind of, like I said, like focusing on the little things that we had to do, like um, we really didn't have to do it much, but kind of just, you know, getting some ice and melting it down and boiling water. And like those things take a lot of time in the, like to boil a kettle takes like almost an hour just because it's so cold. And uh, so it, it takes a lot of time. And so you just basically just looking at that kettle and, you know, willing the water to start boiling because you really want that coffee in the morning, you know, but yeah. So, so that takes out like a good chunk of the day. Um, and then, you know, other things is just, okay, well now I have to go to the bathroom and kind yeah. of psyching yourself up and being like, right. I'm going to have to go now. Like, and, and maybe I can put it off for like half an hour, but yeah it's coming like I, I have to get up and get dressed and brave those winds and get out there and go do go do my stuff so yeah i was gonna say that you guys had to have brought a massive amount of gear 
Yeah, we had a lot of gear, but also we were kind of traveling light in the sense that you cannot bring like, you know, an extra uh, bathroom tent and you can't bring because we're only three people with three small sleds and we're pulling all of our gear through that really technical, challenging land. So we can't be too heavy either, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of gear, but kind of all only the bare minimum as well. Right. Yeah. Right. Which, yeah, I would imagine that would freak me out in the Arctic when, when rescue would be so far away, it's freaking cold. Yeah. And if you forget something or if something breaks, you like, at least I guess you got like two other people that hopefully maybe would have like kind of a backup thing for that. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like, gosh, I mean, you, one thing, I don't know, you lose your lighter, you lose whatever's the thing yeah. that's boiling your water. It doesn't work anymore. It's like, now you're screwed. Yeah. Well, we, we had like a lot of those really essential things we Back. had like in mm -hmm. double and triple, like we had two stoves, we had three uh, pumps for the stoves. Uh, yeah. We had a ton of extra fuel as well, just because we knew that being stuck in a tent for that really long period of time was a possibility because yeah. high winds in the Arctic are like, they happen, they happen all the time. And yeah. we had planned that extra day to in our, um, in our schedule for anything like that to happen. And it did happen. Yeah. So yeah, oh, and we, really? like we had a pump that, uh, kind of froze up and we were never able to make it go again. So yeah, yeah it, the, those things happen, but that, that's it. You kind of, you bring extra, extra stuff. And yeah. eventually like the, for um, like our sleeping system, our sleeping bags and all the clothes that we were wearing, you know, that in the Arctic with that 65% humidity, everything's going to get wet eventually. But mm -hmm. we also knew that we were only out there for seven days. And it seems like a really long time, but at the same time, like seven days, you know that you can get through it. Like, yeah. it, it's not that long. It, we're not going out for like a month or two months type of expedition. Like it's seven days. You can sleep in your damp sleeping bag for seven days. It's going to be right. cold. You're not going to sleep a lot, but yeah. you'll be okay. I love it. I love that mentality. Now, how... How many miles was it again? Or what was the mileage um, or kilometers or? Yeah, it was about 150 kilometers. So like just under 100 miles total. Wow. So that's yeah. on skis too. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. Wow. In like really difficult, uh, difficult environment, difficult conditions. But yeah. yeah. And I mean, you're, did you, did you use sleds then and things like that? Yeah. So we had, yeah. uh, we had sleds with all of our equipment. Um, yeah and gear in it and uh yeah skis and then sometimes we just had to switch over and put our uh, spikes on and we just were on foot right on yeah right on. well so how did you feel at the end of the whole thing were you wanting more or were you <laughs> like kind of like i'm good <laughs> um so this is like and i i'm sure a lot of people know this feeling <laughs> yeah. of like you stop and you're like, I'm done. I never, I don't want to do this again. Like this yeah. is not worth it. It is too much. It's too hard. Uh, nobody needs to be that cold for that long. And 
So you think, okay, I did it. I'm happy I did it, but it's not happening again. And then you sleep on it. And then the next day you're like, ah, oh, that was fun. Kind of in this weird type two kind of way, you know? And then uh, another day goes by and then it's kind of like your brain forgets, right? And it's, um, you just forget the hard parts, but you remember that really awesome feeling of being out there, of being connected with uh, yourself, with the environment, and just being able to experience that, which is like a really big privilege. Uh, I know not a lot of people get to go out to the Arctic and do these things, but yeah, you kind of look back on it and think, oh, maybe I could do something like this, similar. Not necessarily the exact same thing. I wouldn't spend 40 hours stuck in the tent in those conditions again if I didn't have to. Um, but yeah, I think the brain kind of has this really interesting way of protecting itself from really stressful situations. And then it kind of forgets. And then you sign up for something like this again and you put yourself in that situation all over again isn't that interesting so you basically like yeah in the moment i kind of feel like screw this i don't want to do this again i'm super stoked for it to be over and then you're basically saying a couple days later one day later two days later it slowly starts creeping into your head that maybe i'll do something like this again yeah well and i think this may be a little bit from experience too because i've gone through that thought process a few times before just after a big race or whatever and I know that I will eventually say okay it's time to go on my next adventure I'm not ready yet to say like okay let's go back to the arctic or let's go back to and do something really intense because I'm still like recovering mentally I guess (laughs) from that uh from that experience but I know that it's it's going to happen where I just something really interesting pops up into my own head or someone like suggests, Hey, let's go do this. And I'll be like, okay, let's go sign me up. You know, let's do it. Yeah. What, what do you have in mind for the future? Uh, what I guess this, well, when did, when was the Arctic in February in February? Okay. Yeah. So it was just, just a couple months ago. So Yeah. yeah. What are your, what are your next challenges, I guess, or goals that you have for this year? Um, so I'm not sure yet. Uh, yeah. and mostly there's, there's one thing is like, yeah, I'm still recovering mentally from that yeah. uh, adventure. And I want to do like, I, I do small backyard adventures just, uh, here and there on weekends. But yeah. as far as like another big expedition, I haven't decided yet. Um, there's also the fact that I don't. I don't know what, um, I'm not sure what else is there that, that like is really meaningful for me. I, yeah. I want to do something that like I really believe in because if someone just like suggests something that I don't really, I'm not mm-hmm. interested in that much, then I'm not going to be successful in it because I'm not like a hundred percent committed. And yeah. so uh, I also feel like there's a lot of things that have already been done. Um, 
And it's kind of like trying to reinvent yourself in that space of like doing really cool stuff, but also um, knowing that a lot of people do it and it's not that big of a deal, mm -hmm. uh, but also trying to find something meaningful through that. I'm not sure. Like I've, I've gone a little I'm bit all over the place. I'm not sure how to answer that question because I just haven't really bit onto something yet. I know exactly what you're talking about because after my 100 miler last year in August, I I kind of went through this weird period of I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. Now. Because that was so intense <laughs> that usually like every year I'm like stacking an adventure. Like it's usually more than the last year's. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of progressively overloading myself like that. Yeah. After that hundred though, I was sitting there and like, how do I top this? Like mm -hmm. that was tough, right? And so I wonder if you're kind of in that too, where you're like in that, that expedition was so intense, right? And you're yeah. just like, wow, that was something else. And now you're kind of, and but that's a great point too, is you're looking for something that has meaning too. Because if you do yes. something that, you know, you don't want to actually, you're not that bought into when you are sitting in that tent for 40 hours, that's when that's when you, when you out, start right? to think yeah. like, mm -hmm. what am I doing here? And that's exactly. when the mental state just kind of breaks down. And that's when you're, you can be in trouble. Yeah. It happened to me. We did the wind, uh, wind, the wind river high route. It's called in Wyoming this last year. It's basically a hundred miles off route. It's off trail. There's no trail. Well, there is a trail for some of it, but most of it's like off route and you're just kind of scrambling over rocks and things. It's like a general route. And I just was not into it. No. And for whatever reason, I don't know why. I think I was kind of burnt out of like long distance hiking last year and things. And we ended up quitting on like day two. It was so, first of all, it was very hard. It was very difficult. Like it took, four hours to go a mile and a half at certain yeah. points. Cause it was just, it was hard travel. And so, yeah, I just kind of pulled the plug and I realized like I was not bought into it that year. And yeah. so it's a really good point for people that are listening to, yeah, make sure just like Valerie's saying, like, make sure it has meaning to you. Make sure you're bought into it because otherwise in those dark moments, you're going to go sideways. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it doesn't mean that I'm, I I know that I'm going to do something right. maybe here, maybe in the fall. I'm not sure. And, and I, like I said, I'm going to keep doing these like smaller adventures and just uh, smaller little objectives to keep my fitness up and just enjoy being outdoors all the time. So I'm going to keep doing that. But mm -hmm. as far as like a big expedition planned, I don't have any for myself. I do um, guide some expeditions uh, with Ray mm -hmm. and uh, he has his uh, adventure travel company. And mm -hmm. so we are planning on going back to the Arctic, but in September this time mm -hmm. and bringing clients up uh, with us. So a little bit different environment, but that's still something that I'm really looking forward to. And uh, that's going to be challenging as well. Going through uh, a section of Baffin Island again, same hmm. uh, spot, not the exact same route that we just did, but very similar and in the same general spot. So, yeah, yeah kind of um, going from the same community to 
connected the the other one but in a different valley yeah. uh, so so that's like a big expedition that i'm looking yeah. forward to it's just not like a personal one yeah right right yeah yeah now your your day job is an air traffic controller yes that's completely unrelated yeah right yeah <laughs> yeah cool okay so how do you balance that with your passion for adventure how do you how do you manage the time to find to find both and stay fit and yeah. do all that kind of stuff um balance is not a word that i use very often in my life <laughs> i guess and and i've struggled with that for many years it's kind of like all or nothing in the sense that i will train like crazy and work like crazy and then like i'll burn out and be like for a whole month i'll be just sitting on my couch not doing anything and then i'll get the motivation back up and and start doing stuff again and building my fitness back up again and then i'll crash back down again and so i'm not i'm not those one of those persons that um allows to move every single day or i get like super fancy or whatever i'm just like i have to work every day to get myself out the door and go for a run um but i with keeping a really busy schedule i find that that works best for me because mm -hmm. i don't have the time to procrastinate i don't have the time to put off my run to later in the evening or whatever um so yeah. whatever time frame that i have during that that day that's when i have to get up and get out so yeah yeah that it, that works best for me yeah it almost forces you to, you have to do it in this time period yes. you can't really select when you want to do it cuz then that's yeah that's good for procrastination but if you have to get it done it's funny cuz like when we before our podcast i typically i'll work out in the afternoon but i was like no i want to get a workout in actually before the podcast and so i felt the time crunch of the podcast and the time crunch of trying to get my workout in. But what do you know, if you give yourself a, there's some kind of principle of when you give yourself so much time, like you will complete something usually in that amount of time, right? Exactly. No matter how long it usually takes, like if a uh, hour and 15 minute workout usually takes an hour and 15 minute workout, I usually can get it down to an hour if I need to, right? It's kind yeah. of funny how that works. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like, I, I'm also with the job that I have, we work uh, different shifts. So mm -hmm. every day is different and that helps me to, to stay motivated um, because I don't really like routine. Mm -hmm. And so with every day being different, sometimes I'm working in the morning, sometimes in the evening, I work night shifts. And so it's kind of like all over the place. And so it really forces me to look at my schedule and be like, okay, well, tomorrow I have to wake up at, 4 30 p.m if i want to get my run in so let's do it and like i'm not i'm not saying that i'm super disciplined and that i do it every day and like i never skip a workout like i'm definitely a slacker sometimes <laughs> um but yeah i think it it just helps me stay a little bit more focused on what i have to do to have a busy schedule yeah so almost the the non-routine of the schedule is is a positive for you because yes. some people would maybe say that consider that well if they i guess if they 
if they're good at making excuses, they'll be like, oh, well, I don't have a, a set schedule to do it. So that's why I don't do it. But for you, you're saying, hey, this actually kind of helps me because I have to prioritize it at certain times. It makes me like actively have to plan it. Yeah, absolutely. And it also gives me a flexibility. Um, mm. Sometimes like, I mean, if I, I can't join a group, uh, like workout group, right? Because if they work out every uh morning like saturday morning at 9 a.m that's when the group run is like i might be there <laughs> once throughout the summer that i'm not working a saturday morning yeah. you know so that like i can't really uh sign up for those types of of group settings but uh i'm okay with that like i'm i'm okay being alone and going for my workouts alone but um, it gives me also the flexibility to, to say, okay, well, on that Saturday morning, yes, I can go and work out with you. And then like on Sunday evening, yes, I can go. And on a Wednesday morning, sure. Why not? You know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm gl- I, super stoked that it, you've made it work for yourself and yeah. obviously it's working. I mean, you just completed a sweet expedition in the Arctic, right? <laughs> like you're obviously yeah. up there, right? But I also like. You know, I I prioritize I prioritize uh, those adventures too in my schedule, where mm-hmm. my vacation time is like pretty much all dedicated to doing these adventures. Yeah. Uh, I only have you know five, I think it's five weeks of vacation time, mm-hmm. um, and so those five weeks I make them count. You know, and and I go either guide um, adventures with Capic One Company or I do my own things and. And then I keep one vacation week in there for like mm-hmm. to go with my partner and like or mm-hmm. with my family and do that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it's definitely challenging to try to like connect all of those things together. But that's what makes it interesting. But I love what you said about prioritizing it. I always talk about prioritizing adventure. I mean, I yeah. think some people where they get to a point where summer goes by without them even thinking about it and they have all this vacation time still or they spent it going to this wedding and that wedding and another wedding and next thing they know like they had zero adventures right and so how how is it that you do you prioritize do you like sit down and like think about well first of all are you able to you you're probably able to select like your days off right um so we work like on a a schedule like shift so Mm -hmm. i have like random days off but it's kind of like five on three three off and then six on four off and something like that so it varies a lot and then for selecting like vacation time uh it goes by um what's the word can't remember but like the oldest yes How how do you say that yeah, I see what you're saying. Like, basically, whoever's been there the longest gets the first pick type of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so yeah. I'm the youngest, to like, in the company. So yeah. I get the last pick for vacation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it also works for me because I'm rarely asking for vacation time in July. Um, right. You know, I'll be asking for, like, yes, give me those two weeks in February because I'm going to the Arctic, you know, whereas no one wants those vacation days. Yeah. So it works for me, too, in that way. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love it. Yes. So you obviously, you know how to prioritize adventure. And I mean, that's why you're, you know, you're doing things like this expeditions, guiding people, ultra marathons and things like that. Yeah. What did like, 
what advice would you give to young women that are interested in pursuing things like you do in the outdoors and kind of on top of that, like wh- how can they overcome some of the obstacles they might face in this industry, like the outdoor industry? So it, advice and then how can they overcome some obstacles that might be prevalent? Um, it, I'm sure that it's very different for um, every person. And I think it's different where everyone is from and where they live. Um, I'm kind of lucky here. We have a really good environment where like women are encouraged to get outside and um, go on trails and it's not super sketchy. Like I never felt like I was scared to go running on trails alone at night. Um, But that's just because of the place that I live at in. And I think that a lot of people are not that lucky um, but I'd suggest just getting other uh, friends. They could be male or female, it doesn't matter, but just getting a group of people into going out and trail running or going hiking as a group, um, but also kind of building that confidence through that group. And then once you have enough confidence, just like go and do stuff by yourself as well to build that confidence even more. And uh, the only way to build confidence is to get out there and do stuff. Um, That's the only way you can read about it. You can uh, watch videos, you can join classes, but the only way to really build confidence is through experience and going out there and doing stuff. Um, And then the, the other thing too is to kind of, yeah, surround yourself with people that have more experience than you do mm-hmm. um, and learn from them and not be afraid of asking for help, asking for advice and asking for tips and tricks. And uh, and then taking that info, take some, leave some, not everything applies to you. And then going out and putting it into action and testing it out for yourself. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't think about the the group thing too like that's that's a that's a great tip yeah and also it it keeps you accountable in some way (laughs) of like if you call up your friend and say well tomorrow morning 9 a.m we're going for a run well like tomorrow morning 9 a.m you gotta show up you know You can't say, oh, uh, maybe I didn't sleep well and blah, 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 you know, and and get some friends that will hold you accountable for that too, you know? If if that's like one of your issues is that you procrastinate a lot and you put things back and you're you're saying, well, maybe I'll go tomorrow or whatever. Well, that's a really good way of, of getting over that hurdle is just like, call up a friend and say, even if that friend doesn't want to come, right? You can call up your good friend and say, well, tomorrow morning, 9 a.m., I'm going for my run. And then, like, you have to text me and or call me and say, did you go for your run? No? Why not? You know? Get out there. Let's go. Have an accountability partner. I love it. And it could be a coach uh, if you want to go uh, through the, the coaching route, and that could be a really good um good tool there but 
you can have it just with a, your friend, your mom, your dad, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So get other people involved. Yeah. Basically is like a good, good principle with that, whether it's a yeah. mentor, a group, accountability partner, something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it also helps to like share those good moments, bad moments, and that whole uh, progression with people too. It makes it more enjoyable, more fun. True. Yeah, that's true. And you can look back on it too when you yeah. meet up with them again sometime, you know, in the future or something like that. You can look back on the past. Remember when we spent 40 hours in a tent? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's why like I do uh, I do some solo adventures as well. But I I think I prefer being with a group, even though like sometimes we're not talking when we're skiing out there like we can't hear anything because we've got all of our hoods on top of our heads and like there's wind and all that. And we're like screaming at each other to, to hear, but, um, but it's still like you're out there with, with people and you're connecting in that way. And I think as human beings, we enjoy being connected to others and we kind of need it. So yeah, I think yeah. it's important. I agree. Awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Valerie, thank you so much for coming on and, this is an incredible episode. I think people are really going to enjoy just number one, being inspired by you have a really infectious attitude, you know, with, with your adventures and stuff like that. And I think they're going to be super inspired to go out and do some of these challenging things that maybe was kind of on their mind, maybe before listening to this episode. Now, hopefully maybe we could we got them past that little line that they had to cross. And now they're, now they're going to go through and they're going to end up planning it this summer or something like that. So I appreciate you. How can people catch up with you in your adventures? Um, well, I have, uh, I'm on TikTok and the handle is the running Panda, uh, or on Instagram as well. Um, and it's, uh, the running Panda as well. The yeah. running Panda. So nobody should be able, nobody should forget that, right? No, the, <laughs> the running panda. Panda is actually my dog's name. So oh, okay. He's kind of like, he's part of all of my uh, daily adventures and daily trainings. So kind of, it was fitting to in, include him into, into that social media. Um, yeah, he's like awesome. the mascot. <laughs> Perfect. Nobody will forget that one. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> 